Welcome to our discussion segment on vaccines. I'm John Streeter. And I'm Joe Parker. Let's get started. Joe, I'm trying to remember, do you recall the exact date when we set up the schedule for season three? Uh, I think it was in June of last year. Or season four, I'm sorry. Season, season four. four. Yeah. Uh, season four is actually like in February? June of this year. You, no, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It was like March. February, March. Yeah. So pre COVID? Yeah. So yeah. no way to know that it wasn't time. We were going to be talking about yeah, vaccines in the week that uh, we might have a coronavirus vaccine on the market. Correct. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. It yeah. was completely unplanned, but well timed. Yep. So generally speaking, you are pro vaccine, correct? Yes. Okay. So. Those who may not share Joe's position, please don't turn us off. This is going to be an honest intellectual discussion of one of both sides. It's not going to be a bunch of pro-vaccine propaganda, not a bunch of anti-vaccine propaganda. We're going to be looking at history and science here. So I just want to 100%. open with that. First, a couple of just general, some quick questions. Tell me about George Washington and how he used vaccines to beat the British in the Revolutionary War. A lot of his soldiers were getting infected with smallpox. And it was an ongoing issue that was um, he was observing. And there was even some reports that the British were purposefully infecting continental troops with a smallpox virus. As a result, he had to make a really difficult decision, and that was to inoculate his troops mm -hmm. with the virus. And at that time, this was before the smallpox vaccine had been created, he, you literally had to infect yourself with a smallpox virus in order to let your body build a, a defense against it in advance of affecting you later on. The benefit to this is that you could better time when you were going to be sick. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the downside is, is that if you did not have the immunity to fight the virus, you were going to die. Right. So what he did was he purposefully pushed and mandated that his troops be inoculated in this way to combat future outbreaks, to make sure that his men were prepared to fight. Mm -hmm. And it was successful. And it did, it did push back against what the British were doing. Again, I say were doing, but this, this is just based on historical reports. Right. And, and, and the, the theory that the British were saying, we have somebody who's infected with smallpox, go get captured or go into the camp and just And cough. spread it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. And you said that smallpox now has been completely eradicated. Is that as a natural virus? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I've read stories about how the United States and Russia and other countries have smallpox kind of kept on ice. They do. So okay, but it's no longer being transmitted anywhere in the world. It's not a uh, problem within the population. From what I've read, it is being kept on ice for possible future treatments in response to bio attacks. And or outbreaks. Okay. Now that's that's what they've said. Right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we, we don't have access to classified information. <laughs> exactly. Who knows yeah. if they're actually doing that? All right. I I was curious turning to polio about uh, John Colmer and what's the other guy's name? Maurice Brody. I was looking at the numbers that you quoted in the podcast. You said that he infected about ten thousand or or 10, more plus, children. Yeah. It says. Five died of the disease and 10 more became paralyzed. And you called that, you said it was kind of, a, it was a disastrous response Correct. or a disastrous outcome. Every life lost is a tragedy, but how is five deaths and 10 instances of paralysis, how is that disastrous? The challenge that the medical community had with Colmer's approach was that he used no control groups. He literally went into towns and just infected kids. Okay. Yeah. 
So it was his procedures, not his results it was, that it, scared everybody. It was his procedures. And when he was challenged on these procedures, his response was, well, they would have gotten sick anyway. Oh, wow. And so the mentality that he had was very laissez-faire considering he's infecting children with polio who yeah. didn't have polio before. And it just was not a, a controlled test at all from the perspective of how they usually would try out a, a vaccine. Wow. Brody was a little bit different. He did do a control group. He actually tested the vaccine on chimpanzees first. Really? Yeah, he did. And then went through a very specific series of tests until he reached actual human beings. Mm -hmm. And then when he did that, he had control groups and everything else. But public opinion was so swayed, or I'm sorry, the, the opinion of the group that they were presenting to was so swayed against any testing of any vaccine at that point that he was he was not booed off stage, but pretty much. Really? The really crappy thing about this story between these two guys is Colmer was responsible for the failure, but he was more prominent and more well-known, mm -hmm. whereas Brody wasn't. He was just getting started. So Brody was actually the one that got fired and disgraced oh, wow. and ruined, and Colmer went on to win awards. Really? And, yeah. He kept his job. He was promoted. Everything else. It's one of those things in history where you just look back on it and you see a picture of Colmer and you know, you just, you just seeing that picture, you know that this person totally threw his partner under the bus hmm. and Brody actually died a few years after that. Oh, wow. Man, that is, that's horrible. Yeah. It's, it's awful. Huh. Do you see any modern parallels in terms of the different approaches to vaccines between like big pharma versus like smaller researchers and, and things like that? Or has that element of precedent in medicine kind of gone away where some some people are like, just infect everybody and see what happens. And others are like, no, we need to take a more controlled approach. Well, it's definitely a more controlled approach. FDA normal timelines extend up to 10 years yeah. for from the point of discovery to testing because it has to be tried out on animals first and so on. And it's at mainly cultured in, in labs first, where you can test it on tissue and yeah. organic matter to see how it responds to, to specific treatments. So it is a lot longer now uh, because of things like this. Okay. And on polio, do you happen to know what some of the treatments were for polio before a vaccine was actually invented? Large majority of the people who had polio would just have a, have a fever, mm -hmm. and it would be like a flu. The challenge is, is sometimes that would create complications later in life. And so you would treat the symptoms as they came. You would you would try and have the fever go away. Right. You you would treat those things. And then sometimes it would just be you hoping that it didn't develop into something more serious. Children who were paralyzed by it, um, when you hear about the iron lung, mm -hmm. that was the result of that, of that virus, what it would do. And the iron lung would compress your chest and allow you to breathe, but you're laying in this case right. all day long, which really, really uh, made people question the value of life at that point. And I'm trying to remember when the last iron lung was retired. It was, like, I think, a, maybe two decades ago. Really? I'm not totally sure, but uh, they're obviously not used anymore. Right. Uh, yeah. It, but it, those type of things, and and also FDR had a polio. Yeah. Um, and he hit it very well. Uh, Thank you, media. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he... He couldn't walk. Right. So uh, there obviously were complications. And that's, as I said in the podcast, one of the reasons why it was a candidate for the vaccine trial. I think that and it primarily affected children. Mm -hmm. And I bring it up because my grandmother, who was born in 1930 and is still with us today. Hi, Grandma, if you're listening to this. Hey, Grandma. Um, she had she had polio. 
And she did. She did. And she survived, obviously. And I remember her telling me that she credits, and I don't, I don't, I may not get all of this right. And my, my mom and my aunts and uncles may be able to provide a bit more detail to me, but her mother would sit her in the bathtub when she was sick with warm water and would massage her arm. It was mostly in her, I think it's her, I think it was her left arm, which today is still, there's almost no muscle uh, in yeah. that, uh, in the upper part of that arm and would massage it for hours and hours and hours. And it hurt. Oh. And she, you know, she, I think she was like six, seven years old and she would cry. But what a great, what a great pair of parents. That is what, that is what saved her life oh, and my is the reason that, that I'm here and that, all of the the Werner clan well, is as extensive as it is. Well, that's that's awesome to yep. hear. To the controversial stuff, vaccines today, because it seems to me from the from reading the podcast and hearing you, and also some reading that I've done over the last couple of days, knowing we were going to get into this, it seems like vaccine procedures and vaccine, like the contents of vaccines, have shifted over the past like 30, 40, 50 years. So. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that vaccines, when the early developments were going on, and what a lot of pro-vaccine people look to is they look at Salk, they look at the other great researchers of the past, they were introducing nothing more than a weakened strain of that virus or that bacteria or something like that. Whereas modern vaccines also have all kinds of other compounds and elements that have been added to it. Is that an accurate description of how vaccines work now that it's not just the disease, it's the disease plus a whole bunch of other stuff in it? It depends on the vaccine. So I think that a lot of vaccines, as said on the podcast, the more modern versions include specific things to try and help the body understand the pathogen better. So how do we create an antibody that will bond to the antigen quickly without there being a lot of side effects? Okay. And so that goes beyond the normal introduction of a harmless strain of the virus. Now, the flu vaccine is one of those exceptions where it is actually what a substantially downgraded version of the flu. But as said also in the podcast, it only it's only a couple of strains. There's right. hundreds of strains of flu. And so each year, the, the medical community will look and see and predict based on what they've seen from past years, what strains will be more prominent. Now, this is based on information, but it's what I would call an educated guess. Right. So if you get the flu shot, you are vaccinated, so to speak, against the flu, but only specific strains. So I think with that, it's more of like a pure downgraded version of the virus, whereas with other ones... It does have other things in it, again, and the intention is to help the body understand how to bond to it better. Okay. Now, I know you're not a trained scientist, but you've studied this. Why would harmful compounds like mercury and formaldehyde be put into vaccines in very, very, very small amounts? Why would they be put in there? How do those compounds help the body learn to adapt and create antibodies? So... That's a great question. From the sources that I've read, again, mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist. Yeah. But um, one of the things that I, in to prepare for this, I did talk to several doctors. I've had the same question. The way that they try and get the body to respond to the vaccine in a positive way, those types of, of things, because they're in small amounts, it's it's kind of like a cocktail which tells the body what to do and how to respond. That's the hope. Now, okay. so sometimes it's also to preserve the things in the vial. So like formaldehyde would be to preserve the, the other contents yeah, of the vial, correct. right? So, I mean, it really, again, depends on what you're getting. 
I, I know that those compounds, as said in the podcast, affect people differently. Mm-hmm. And people do respond to vaccines differently. I, I mean, as a parent, our children have to get a lot of vaccines. And our children have gotten almost all of them, but some of them we've declined. Mm -hmm. And that may seem controversial, but these are not the deadly strains that will kill other children. Our kids receive those. But some of them, they're just illnesses that do we want to expose our child to to those things? Well, that's our decision. And we can choose to to decide that or not. Mm -hmm. And every parent has that choice. But I've seen after children get... These shots, um, them, been, them being sick for a few days to a few weeks as their body adapts to this bombardment of things to beat and actually understand. Mm-hmm. And so versus, you know, our kids would have maybe like a fever for one night or they would be really grumpy for a day. Yeah. And then they would be fine. Your kids are too wonderful. I'm sure they are well, never gr- They're never no, grumpy. No, they are. They're totally grumpy. <laughs> but I, it's, it's one of those things where, yes, the science of vaccines, the science behind it is sound. Does it affect everyone the same way? Absolutely not. And I cannot think of a medical professional who would say everyone responds the same way. Well, but don't big pharmaceutical companies try to encourage people? They, they say they try to get people to get these vaccines because it's going to it's going to help kids in these specific ways. Isn't that them trying to say it's going to be OK? There's you know, your, your kid's going to react the same way as, as everyone in our testing group did. No. Have you read the exclusions in every single ad or in every I've read <laughs> several of them. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they're they're very much like they don't say it's perfectly safe. They can't legally say that. They can't legally say that this is going to affect a child in this way. They have to go into detail about these are the possible side effects. These are the possible things that could happen. So what kind of building on this, there have been documented cases of kids who experience not just severe symptoms, but actual like personality changes that are permanent as a result of vaccinations. Do you know, again, understanding you're not a scientist, but you've talked to people and you've, you've done quite a bit of research on this. Do you know if that is one of the declared side effects or is that something that is being not necessarily hidden, but not talked about? That kids who are relatively happy and and you know carefree, they get these vaccines, and literally within days, they're almost a completely different person. Because I know people who have gone through gone through things like that. Great question. I don't know of specific things that have been tied to that okay. uh, in terms of studies. I know that one of the big, and I'm I'm not saying that you're saying this, but I know that yeah. one of the biggest reports that came out back in the early 2000s, I believe it was, was basically linking vaccines to like autism and. and no, and I'm not. Things. I'm not yeah, talking yeah. about that. But yeah, yeah. Um, it, he was. I mean, the the person who authored that. I mean, it was proven not just by the medical community, but by himself when he had, when he said this. I was wrong. He actually made up a lot of what he mm-hmm. was saying. I guess to answer you. Um, these affect everyone differently. What medicine does is it looks at the vast majority of reaction to a treatment to determine if it's if it is viable and successful. And the vast majority is not everyone. Right. And so you see these types of treatments affect people differently. Why does chemo treatments, why do they affect people worse in a worse way than, than other people? Mm-hmm. 
Um, why does it kill some people's cancer and not other people's? Exactly. Why, is it why does it kill some? some people? Yeah. I mean, chemo is poison. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's destroying cells. So that's one example. Why does hydroxychloroquine help most people and some people? Oh it, boy, here we go. It doesn't <laughs> doesn't help. I know it's a, it's the evil words. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's one of those things where it is a reality. I've had five sinus surgeries. I am among the ten percent of people who needed more than one. Why is that? Mm-hmm. My ENT will tell you he has no idea. That's why we practice medicine. <laughs> That's He has told me that every time I've gone there and said, hey, I'm feeling off balance. Hey, yeah. I have a bloody nose. Hey, all these things. And he'll do I have he to can- call my best friend <laughs> and have him call it, uh, call my wife. <laughs> and I'm in the ER and I have an artery that's blown out of my nose. Oh, gosh. So, that was awful. That was, that was horrible. Yeah. So uh, you, you have these things where you're, you, they have to practice it. Because as I said at the very end of the podcast, the human body is this the most complex piece of creation that we know of. Mm-hmm. Everyone is different. We all have the same systems, but everyone is different. Scientists are still learning how we have thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's that should indicate to everyone that we don't know everything yet. And so with every person, it changes. I mean, it even comes down to diet. Diet's a great example. Yeah. Why is it that I have friends who can eat loaves of bread and not gain a pound, where if I eat one slice of bread, (laughs) I end up gaining 11 pounds. I remember when we went on our camping trip, I had been fasting and and eating properly all that week. And then we, for two days, we're out camping and I gained nine pounds. I weighed myself after I got back nine pounds more. And, but it was, it was more of a, it was more of like, it's probably water weight, but what does that happen? Yeah. You know, several other guys on our trip, they didn't weigh more, but I did. That's because my body isn't the same as theirs. Mm-hmm. One more concern that that a lot of people who are opposed to vaccines or who have questions about va- vaccines that I'd love to get your thoughts on. There have been documented cases of big pharmaceutical companies testing vaccines in the third world and not ba- basically instead of testing on animals, testing on people, but in remote areas where supposedly there's not going to be any press or any evidence of what they've done. What would you say First off, do you know of any documented cases where that's happened? Do you know if there's been, that, has yeah. there been consequences for those companies that have done that? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, if you ask me to name a specific one, I, I won't be able to. But I, yeah, that's obviously wrong. Going back to the example that we talked about, polio, you had a vaccine that was improperly tested on children. Yeah, That's wrong back then, or it was wrong back then, and it's wrong now. You have to go through a process by which you test these things carefully over time in order to determine if they're successful or not. Mm -hmm. Because believe it or not, even though it's a downgraded version or supposed to be of the virus, it still is a virus. Yeah. And it still could have consequences and still does. And I guess that's that's my biggest concern about vaccines. I'm not necessarily anti-vax, but I'm very skeptical about them is how can a company, any company, best of intentions, worst of intentions, doesn't matter – How can they conduct a study that is broad enough where they think, okay, we've got a good enough sample of the general population in a country, in a continent, on the entire planet, that this is going to be safe for most people? How do they do that? Well, it goes back to the testing process. and and Right, but if you're testing on animals and you've just said that every person is is going to react differently. Yeah, well, I think think what I was trying to say was – Medicine has to look at how most people react. Okay. And so when you look at how most people react to something, 
federal law mandates that uh, a company must say, here are all the possible side effects. Right. Even if one person experiences one side effect, it has to be included. But they have to look at what what the overall effect, the majority effect based on their testing is. And if there are 10% of people who react differently than what was tested, then that's something, is that beyond their control? I mean, they can't physically test every single right. person. No, and I'm not suggesting they should, yeah. but but the question is, is that 10% going to be 10% because they happen to select a group of people who volunteered for the trial, that they have that, whatever the characteristic is that caused... I don't know. Let's just say it, it caused their eyes to turn red. Let's say that's the side effect of a disease. Is that mm-hmm. because there is a certain genome in 10% of that population? What happens if it's actually 60% of the national population or of the global population? Is there any way they can kind of check or they can test for that or, or that they can account for that in ha- for when they actually announce we have a vaccine, it's available most of you are going, your eyes are going to turn red, but you will not get coronavirus or something like that. I think, again, they can only do that through the test groups that they run. Okay. And so I think that there are widespread trials that go beyond the laboratory. Yeah. So here's something so, to ask you. And right there, that is is that, just before you get to that, is that a concern of yours for something like the COVID vaccine where they've they've done a great deal of testing and all of that, but now they're saying, okay, we're, we want everyone to take it. Is that going to be, in some sense, a mass test? And then we're going to see if there are different reactions and things like that. And then we'll release COVID vaccine 2.0 and 3.0 once we get more data from these countries. So that was going to be my question to you. Um, Specifically, if you're asking me if I know the exact number of people who were included in the COVID testing for that vaccine, I don't know. No, I'm not asking that. I look look at percentages rather than than raw numbers. So the reason why they've been able to develop a vaccine so quickly is because a lot of the the regulations that were in place have been pulled. Because which is concerning. It is concerning. One of the things, though, that that they've been really really careful about is in their test groups to actually see how the specific virus responds, which is how they always do it, but. In this case, because they knew it was going to be accelerated, I do know that they increased the number of test subjects okay. who volunteered right. to take it to see how it reacted. As a result, they found that the vaccines that they've seen so far have been successful almost all the time, which is great. Now, that brings me to my question. Mm-hmm. Once the vaccine is sent out and we all have the option, again, not mandated, I'm assuming we'll have the option because we will. Um, it's going to be mandated at well, some for for certain. No, it is for certain public well for facilities. Like if, if you're in the armed forces, like it's going to be mandated. If you're no, a doctor, if, it's if you're be a doctor, if you want to travel internationally, if you want to travel domestically, it's going. Airlines are already saying we're going to mandate it. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, I haven't yep. heard that yet. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. We we run a travel company, and we're going to have to discuss policy at some point because Qantas, Emirates have already said. We are going to require you to have a COVID vaccine. That could be a different conversation. In no, it is. It is. And having I don't a buyer, necessarily want to get into like, like yeah. So it would would, would we? But would we, we are seeing companies yeah. starting to say we're going to mandate it. There's been no government mandates in the United States, at least as far as I've. Yeah, I don't know heard. that that would be legal either. If you mandate a vaccine, well, yeah. Anyway, uh, so my question to you is: Once the vaccine is made available to everyone, will you get it? No, not okay. uh, not right away. Uh, I won't either. I will get it when my job. Or my livelihood depends on it, but no, I'm I'm not. And so that's a, that's a personal choice that you and I make based on our experience and what we decide is best for us. Other people 
may decide, I want to be part of this group that's going to get it because I don't want COVID. I've had COVID and it wasn't fun, but it has over 99% survival rate. So speaking seriously, I mean, when we look at the number of people who are infected and we see the number of people who recover, it's it's substantial, which mm-hmm. is good news. Yeah. This is great oh, yeah. news. I oh, mean, yeah. I went to see my ENT last week and he said, in the history of pandemics, we're doing a great job. We are. Like, this is, we're, we're on track to really doing well. Because I was asking him, I was like, what exactly are you seeing? Because he's uh, he volunteered to work in ERs. The people who are infected, who are, are reacting in a bad way to it, um, need help. And so he was he was just telling me, it's like, when I look at the statistics, yeah, it's 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 a bad thing. But relatively speaking, we're doing great. Yeah. And so when I when I see that and I understand the process of how it works and how the body will create its own defenses against the virus it encounters, mm-hmm. would I be apt to get a vaccine? No, that's that's my choice and that's your choice. Other people may want it, and that's fine. Eventually, it's going to go away, or it's going to be something that's more under control, and there'll be other things that pop up. You're right to question how a vaccine will affect every person, and that's as I said. With our children, we decided, yeah, we're going to get most of them, but we're not getting them all at once. Mm-hmm. We spaced them out over, you know, four years, appropriately. And our doctor was like, "Yeah, okay, cool. You know, here are the ones that I really suggest you get." And we got those. Yeah. That if our child got these diseases, they would probably die. And there were other ones that were kind of like, "Yeah, they'll get sick, but not so much." Like, all right, well, we'll we'll see about that. I'm not saying we got them or didn't, but mm-hmm. we just decided to, on our own what should be done. One more question, controversial question, then we'll go back to the uh, kind of the history You're here. You're full of but, controversial questions. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I have family members who were sending me questions because they, who, when I told them we were going to be talking about vaccines, well, so I, hopefully I hope I'm doing have, a good job for I, them. But. I hope I have not been the disowned by any of them. Eh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies to everyone in John's family who now thinks I'm a moron. We already did. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah true that. <laughs> Are you concerned about big pharma and the profit motive when it comes to vaccines? Uh, not so much. Really? Um, yeah, primarily because if they get it wrong, they're done. They're so out of money and out of cash. It is such a. But there have been other medicines and other treatments that they have put out that have killed people, and they've said, "Oops, we're sorry." But after paying three hundred still... million, four hundred yeah. million dollars, I mean, profit question goes both ways. If you screw up, which is why there's like 10 plus years of time it takes, then you pay for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you pay for it. Now, what's the cost of a human life? Exactly. Yeah. I, there isn't anything to compare it to. But conversely, I mean, what would happen if they weren't in business? Mm-hmm. Who would develop these treatments? Fair point. Who would say, okay, we're going to actively try and search for a cure for Parkinson's or MS? Yeah. Or what would be the drive to do it? You did a great podcast on profit. And having that as a, as a driver is a big deal. Yeah. And again, the consequence of it, I don't think that, that big pharma wants to kill people. It's not right. their intention. I don't think that. Yeah. So I think that they that they, they take it seriously. And when they're, they're thinking through it, do they screw up? Absolutely. But there's consequences for that. And they're well aware of those. Do you think they need to be more transparent with- Oh, absolutely. With what's... I think everybody should be more transparent. Yeah. yeah I mean- So the solution to the vaccine- kind of controversy is more transparency from them and more choice and education on the part of parents and people who are going to 100%. take it. 100%. Yeah. I think- I The think, solution's not government mandates. Correct. The medicine, I think one of the one of the challenges that we have is, for one, it's really expensive. Two, you mm. know, to your point, that there's a lot of questions that those of us who don't fully understand it have. 
So I think the answer is transparency. Uh, it's transparency with your bill. How much is a surgery going to actually cost? Not what the hospital is going to bid on and what the insurance company is going to pay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also to your point, like what's, what are the side effects here? And every doctor who's worth their salt will say the treatment that we're prescribing. With their sulk, you mean? Their sulk. Oh. <laughs> Jonas Salk, sorry. Horrible pun. My apologies. I've derailed Joe. I apologize. Uh, you did derail me. It's like, I didn't say that wrong. I've been saying that for years. No, it's uh, <laughs> worth their sulk is, would tell you that when they prescribe a treatment, they do so believing that the treatment and side effects are worth it to help you and not do harm. Yeah. And so it's it's always a gamble. And that's why I said it's why it's practice. It's not science. It's it's pra the practice of applying what they think is true to your individual case and then asking you how it's going. Mm -hmm. All right. One final question just to wrap it up. Where do you think we would be if we did not have vaccines? As a society, as the human race, things like that. From a historical perspective, are there any major events in history you think that might have gone a different direction had we not had vaccines? I mean, what if questions are hard to hard to predict, but we would still be dealing with smallpox. Would we have encountered smallpox in Vietnam and World War II and so on? And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we, we absolutely would have. I, I There'd think be fewer that, people alive. Is, I mean, that's, that's I mean, almost more a or less. And one of the things that I think people forget is that viruses mutate. So if smallpox being as halted as it was, was not allowed to do so, like, what did we save ourselves from? Mm -hmm. like, what could have that have developed into? I, I guess part of the answer, too, is when we look at history and we see the progression of the human race, do we believe that these things would have been left alone? Do they? Yeah. Do, do we think that people would have said, no, we're cool. We're, you know, we're not going to try to find a solution to this. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think the answer is instead what happened would have happened because we're constantly trying to improve. We're constantly, especially our quality of life. I mean, our drive to preserve ourselves is the strongest force that currently exists. And so when someone says, I want to cure this disease, it's because they want to survive. With that kind of drive, these things would not have been ignored anyway. I mean, even now, people are still trying to figure out how to cure Parkinson's. I mean, there's so much research going in to figure out why that part of the brain shuts down yeah. and why, why this, this happens or, or, you know, cancer, uh, there, there's, there's countless examples of how medical researchers are searching for solutions. They're doing so not just because they're trying to help people, but because they don't want to die either. Any closing thoughts as we wrap this up? Yeah. Just that when we look at the history of vaccines, we see a history of, of intention to try and fix those things that, that we encounter naturally, those problems and challenges that we have that, again, affect our quality of life or end our life. So you have people who have acted responsibly to try and figure out how to solve these problems, and you have people who have acted irresponsibly mm. to try and do the same. And so looking at history, we can look to the examples of people who were acting in the right way with the right intention with the right outcome in mind and understand that though they're not perfect and though their processes aren't either, that they're trying to search for that, that answer to the question, how do I fix this? Not just for myself, but for everyone else. I think with that information, we can, we can decide on our own on what we want to take into our own body. And if those, if those things are things that we deem important and valuable, 
that will help extend our life and improve our quality of life, then, then that's the choice that we either exercise or not. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of vaccines. I'm John Streeter. And I'm Joe Parker. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It really does help. Thanks, and see you next week.